Left. Right. Hey there, my friend. This is our episode about cars. We're talking about what cars used to look like, what they look like now, and what they're going to look like in 20 years. I don't know if you're going to like it. I don't think I'm going to like it very much, but I am curious your opinion. Thank you, as always, for watching, listening. Please don't forget to support us in any way you can. If that means commenting, sharing, liking, whatever interaction you're capable of doing right now, we appreciate it. On that note, I'll let you uh, get to listening to us sip and talk. Enjoy. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 All right, that brings us online. This is Sip Talk. You're here. We're here. We're here to sip. We're here to talk. Thank you for joining us. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnia Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina, philosopher, accountant, professional referee, and bartender. James, what's happening? Oh, shit, man. Your audio Let's is down. Let's turn on the mic. <laughs> it looked like no, it, it looked, it, whatever you just did, the movement to turn on your mic looked like you fastened a seatbelt. Oh, no. It's, uh, it's the switch on my mic. Ah, and it's just sitting in your lap like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Let's, fasten your seatbelts, folks. Wow, this is, this is episode 144, and we are actually talking about cars. And we'll talk a little bit about seatbelts, too. Because um, I think... Uh, Seatbelts didn't exist for as long as you probably think that they did. You, when did seatbelts become? I remember being a kid and like people were still pushing back on the seatbelt laws. Sixties or seventies, I think. But that's when they—that's uh, when they started arriving in cars. Yeah. When did three-point seatbelt invent? Not invent, but become into popular. Nineteen fifty-nine. When did it become into into popular use? When was it? When was New York State law requiring seatbelt use? Because they just started requiring seatbelts in the back seats, like last year. Really? Yeah. So used to, um, adults used to be able to ride in the back seat and not have to wear seatbelts, and for whatever reason, uh, they you know they just legislated and passed that. What do you the got? The first seatbelt law took effect in 1968, so nine years after the invention. What about in New York State? That's uh. Uh, that's I've got what I want, man. New uh, York, 1984. 1984. Okay, so that was uh, the year before I was born, and uh, and I can see how there was probably some pushback through through my childhood because I could tell you right now, a year after the backseat seatbelt law has been passed, no adults I know are sitting in the backseat wearing seatbelts, like they're not even so, aware of this law. Interestingly enough, New York was the first state to pass it. Ooh, very New York-like. Um, last state, New Hampshire, 1997. Unless you count Wake Island, which is uh, like a U.S. territory. Well, I remember New Hampshire not having a seatbelt law throughout being a kid. I, rem I remember that yeah. being a, a big thing. Um, so New Hampshire comes in dead last in 1997, and my current home state of South Carolina, 1989 which is towards the back of the pack, but still relatively close. So, let me ask you. I, uh, I got a little truly uh, 
and uh, a little uh, habiki here. I'm curious, curious what you got to drink down there. I know what it is, but I just want to, I just want to hear you say it to to reaffirm. Stick my... with, sticking with the bush ice, waiting for that sponsorship package to roll on in. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're probably watching us live in uh, in the well wherever it is that they make bush ice. I mean, did they, does Bush Ice even have like a sponsorship department? Is that like one of the brands that they're even proud to have? <laughs> well, there's no Clydesdales for it, so I don't, I don't, I don't even, I can't even think of a Bush Ice advertising campaign unless it's like college kids like body slamming each other through uh, plastic tables or something. Like Keystone Light used to have an, uh, an advertising campaign that was actually pretty awesome. Do you remember this? Uh, you got to. Re- I don't remember anything, so you have to remind me. It was their their mascot or spokesperson was a guy by the name of Keith Stone. Oh, I think. Uh, and he had like a mullet. Yeah. And yeah. like, <laughs> like all the ads would be in him in like some kind of like regular social situation that turned slightly awkward, and he just like navigated it smoothly. And it was be smooth like Keystone, drink smooth beer, Keystone Light. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, see, I, I actually do remember this. See, I, I have a really bad memory. The, the circuitry's there. I just got to light up the wires somehow, and, and that's I appreciate you helping me uh, spark the, the wires there. So look, so um, we're going to talk about cars a little bit. I, uh, I just got uh, news from the, the garage that I dropped the car off that I bought last week that it needs a shit ton of work, so that's... Uh, that's not surprising. News. What did you buy? Uh, a 2012 Audi A7. Got a. I got a. We won't get into too, too much of the specifics, but I got a real sick deal, Facebook Marketplace, and uh, the engine had a little bit of a shake to it, but it was low miles, and the guy told me that it was the. And I mean, this is kind of where it's a bit dumb, but the the guy selling it to me um, managed to come down in the price relatively with ease. And uh, he told me that it was a motor mount that was uh, that was broken, which seemed pretty much in line with with the the shaking that, that kind of happened. It only happened when there was real torque being applied. So if you were in drive but at a stop, you would feel a bit of a uh, shake. And then as you would start to uh, what sort of moving, as you start to accelerate a little bit, as there was a decent torque load on the engine. You could feel it wasn't running smoothly, but when you were up to 65, 70 miles an hour and cruising, it ran, you know, spun like a top. You know, same thing at 30, 40 miles an hour without much of a load. So, uh, in line with the motor mount, motor mounts aren't that expensive to replace. And uh, I heard back from the dealership, and actually, they gave me a laundry list of stuff, but uh, nothing that's like imperative to the engine except that motor mount. So. So what what are the other things that they want? <laughs> well, there's. There's uh, some some like exhaust linkage somewhere that that could be replaced. There's a little bit of a leak, but like you can't hear it in the engine, so that's good. Um, it needs some new rear tires, and the brakes are at like forty percent, um, and uh, a couple other things. But but uh, it got basically uh, it's not doomed, but it's it's not got a clean bill of health, so. You know, we we'll we'll see how it lasts in the winter time, and if it's if it's something worth uh, worth doing. But it's got sixty six thousand miles on it, which is not bad for twenty twelve. Just sound. um, two pedals or three? Ah, man, you can't. They don't make this car. They don't make this car in uh, in a manual transmission. So, um, 
I'm a you know I'm really bummed about that. But I've been looking I've been looking for Audis and Volvos and just something relatively like PC. Like I'm I'm looking for like a kind of a a golden retriever of, of cars. Like I'm not ready to buy a, a nine eleven and even if I did buy a nine eleven it's not gonna driving a Porsche in the suburbs in the wintertime doesn't quite make sense. Well, you get one of the all wheel drive ones. Yes, which which costs literally double, so Really? Uh, well, yeah. Remember, I got. I'm trying to. I'm trying to spend money on the house. There's a lot of renovations to do out here in the house. So either way, it was a safe bet. Something I can drive around at least through the winter time. See what it looks like next year. Are you uh, getting rid of the truck? Yeah, man. I am so sick of driving this pickup truck. It's like different worlds. I can't even. I can't even reach over to the passenger side to unlock the door or roll up the window, which obviously in the pickup truck requires manual rolling up of windows. <laughs> so. Um, which, which uh, automatic windows? What came into came into effect in the late eighties? Uh, no, they, I'm sure. Well, let's just look this up. But the point that I'm making is that some of the original vehicles, some of the original cars, didn't have windows, didn't have windshields. So what we're we got to get into our topic here, but we got to. Uh, the first power windows were made in 1940. Okay, but we can't. Okay, but. <laughs> What were your chances of buying a vehicle with power windows in 1970? Very slim. <laughs> so you could have you could have a top of the line sports car and it would have roll up windows in 1970. So you, just be careful with how we're displaying the data here. So look, so let's let's at least introduce the topic here, which uh, I'm coining as how cars have changed since uh, really the induction of mass production vehicles. But, you wanna, but, yeah, shorten, you wanna, but shorten how cars have changed. You, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I kind of want to give the uh, the audience the reason for why we're having this talk. Because me and Rosh were having a debate earlier where he was talking about how American cars used to be really well built 50 or 60 years ago. And in his words, today they're made out of cardboard. And pause, I, pause, which, pause, pause right there. Rosh, for those of you who don't see Rosh... Rosh is one of the producers of the show. He's watching live and he's feeding us your comments via Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. So if you guys are on those platforms and you're watching, you're making comments, Rosh is feeding them to us because we obviously can't be playing Instagram while we're having a conversation. Yeah, so just saying hi to Kono, uh, Coco Chin Chin. And, uh, and also, if you guys want to call in, you can click the link in my Instagram bio and you can appear on screen either visually or just vocally you don't have to you don't have to join in video so if you want to ask questions about cars for james and i or anything else check or out just that weigh video. in on your opinion about cars today versus cars 10 20 50 years ago so so your uh, your conversation with rosh changed he was it. talking about 70s muscle cars and how like those cars were, were big and heavy and they had big powerful loud engines and, and he said, "This is I, I want a, a you know I want a '70s muscle car." Yeah, and you and, said, and you said, "On the contrary, uh, on the contrary, those '70s muscle cars might have been big, loud, and heavy, but they weren't actually all that powerful. Um, to like, if you compare the the power that they had to modern day cars, they actually lose um, in a lot of cases. Like well, the 1976 Corvette." had like a 165 horsepower engine my 2015 passat has 170 and it's got a little 1.8 <laughs> so 
back then, horsepower. So having a car that's 300 horsepower today is is not surprising, right? It's not at all. Not nobody's gonna go. Wow, 300 horsepower. Wow. Um, but if you had a 200 horsepower car 20 or 30 years ago, people would say, "Wow, that is a muscle car." There's, you know, that's uh, it's got a lot of horses. Um, and uh, the cars also weighed a hell of a lot more back then, so they needed the horsepower just to get up and running. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they had less horsepower and weighed more, so they weren't as fast. And they also handled like crap. And well, let's we'll get there in a minute. But they also used a lot more fuel. But actually, surprisingly, not that much more fuel. <laughs> fuel economy hasn't gotten that good except in the last 10 years, and then still, it's still not that great. You know, my, I don't know. There was, a, there was a period during the 80s, so like after the oil crisis, when all the auto manufacturers scaled back in size on their cars, you actually saw some cars that got really fantastic gas mileage during the 80s. Like what? What would be a th- like, what, what can you can you think of a model and a uh, average mileage? Honda CSX got over forty miles to the gallon back in the mid eighties. Holy fuck! Highway, obviously. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's wild. And now what do they get? Um, probably if you go with like a base model Civic or something, a non hybrid car, because like we we don't want to compare those just because it's not fair. If you go with like a base model Civic that is non hybrid. Probably somewhere between forty and forty-five miles to the gallon is my yeah, guess. So not not a huge increase. So like, so let's, so right, but that's with thirty or forty years of technology, and naturally aspirated engines haven't gotten much more efficient. Correct. So I think what Rosh was trying to get at is that cars back then had a lot more character. That's true. And I I mean if you think about cars. They were kind of like superhero movies. All right, you would get one cool car where they either invented it or redesigned it, and it was a major redesign. And that car looked the same for the next seven to ten years. And before long, or especially right now, the cars are tweaked and the body style changes, or something about the car changes every single year. And that's basically to make people want to buy. A new car, and obviously technology yeah, is moving you, a little more quickly nowadays. So, point is, if, if you, you look at like a BMW 3 Series today versus a BMW 3 Series ten years ago, there's not a huge difference. No, but the BMW 3 Series didn't change at all for from Although probably it's now the, the BMW 4 Series. Like they okay. changed their number. But but point but, is, a BMW 3 Series. From 1982, probably looked like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a 1986, whereas a BMW 3 Series from 2016 versus 2017 probably are very distinguishable. No, I don't think so. What I'm saying is that you don't like part part of the reason why cars are looking more and more similar to each other these days is because of regulation. Well, that's where you're, you're missing my point. I think. Your point is that it used to be that you would have a model and it would have a run for five to seven years where it went through very few changes and then it would be a complete overhaul into something totally different 
Whereas now we're seeing more incremental change where a model run might be one or two years before they make changes to it, but the changes aren't as big. Yeah, exactly. Now, what you're saying is that all uh, all manufacturers, uh, Honda, Chevy, Toyota, Lexus, whatever, are all starting to look somewhat similar to each other because regulations are putting them in similar line with, say, bumper height and uh, width or something along those lines. Yeah, and the, and the amount of safety features that the cars have to have, there's only so many ways you can design to incorporate all of those things. And and that's one of the points I was trying, I made to Rosh, is like, if you watch a video of a modern car doing a crash test with a car from like the 50s or 60s, it's crazy. Well, you you we, just, you sent the video in our group chat prior mm-hmm. to us, us jumping online. And the video was like a 1960-something Chevy Bel Air. 59 Bel Air versus a 2009 Malibu. Malibu, yeah. And it was a kind of 50th anniversary. This is how far we've come. And the two cars collide head on in the video. And of course, there's a thousand and one camera angle. So you can see every, and they, and they uh, replay it in slow motion. So you can see every square inch of, uh, you know, metal on the body, the sheet metal on the car kind of compact and crunch. And you can see the older car, basically, I would say two-thirds of it are completely destroyed and unrecognizable. And the interior of the car, right off the bat, you see the driver just kind of get like smushed in. And I don't even think there's a seatbelt on that car. Might not have been. So the driver really gets just demolished. Whereas the 2009 Malibu, the driver has a seatbelt on, he has an airbag that pops out. He's got a, a cage that's kind of built around him. So his immediate area, not much happens at all. And the front end of the car basically compacts and takes the majority of, of the impact. Yeah, uh, in, in both cases, the car is not going to be drivable afterwards. But in one case, you can. It, it's very clear to see how much of a difference the drivers feel in the, in the uh, crash. Well, I don't think that the driver of the 1959 model survived. Obviously, it was he's a, it was not a, going to be feeling much afterwards. It was a crash test dummy, but uh, but he, yeah, I don't, I don't think he uh, he survived at all. Uh, you know, I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard this when I was younger about this Volvo car, where the Volvo car was basically a full steel frame, and they were showing, and this is like a, it wasn't a production model vehicle but they were kind of showing how strong their cars were. And they, they had these two guys drive the car and crash it, and the car basically came out perfectly fine, no damage to the car, and the guys kind of got up, and, and they were a bit shaken up, and they walked away from the accident. And then hours later, and, and, and the, the experiment went very well, because they said, oh, look at the car, look at the guys, they got up and walked away. But the guys were so badly concussed, they, they actually died like you know hours later or something like that. So there's a it's lot. not surprising to me. And that's where like the misperception that modern cars are not built as strongly as old cars is like they're designed to take more damage in a crash because every bit of damage that goes into the car is damage that's not going to the interior cabin and the people inside of it. And so you might have a lower speed collision where like a 50s or 60s car would be my like 
maybe not even affected at all because it it's just like the car isn't designed to absorb that kind of damage and so like it just kind of yeah, it'll have some dents and some scratches or anything but like a 1960s car might be relatively undamaged from it whereas a modern car might have significant damage but when you speed those collisions up then all the areas that a modern car is designed to collapse and crumple are what protects a driver and keeps them alive whereas the 50s or 60s driver is going to be in multiple pieces yeah but that's that's where modern cars have definitely excelled and i'm not going to rosh what rosh was telling you is that he you know he liked the 1970s muscle cars he likes that era he likes that character and in his opinion they were better cars and then you just went to uh quiet quiet uh, qualifiable uh, or quantifiable reasons why current cars are better cars and Raj sees those cars, hears those cars smells those cars and it makes him feel a certain type of way I don't think anybody sees a 20, uh, a 2009 Chevy Malibu and feels a certain type of way than when they Probably see when they see a 1960s or 70s muscle car so yes if you you know uh, quantitatively the the newer car is a better car it's safer it gets better gas mileage but you're losing a lot of the driving experience and just like you said it, instantly I told you about this car um, the A7 and you said is it is it manual transmission or automatic transmission and I begrudgingly had to say bro I looked hard as fuck to find a car that would be a good driving experience and unfortunately. I caved. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that sucks. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. You can just internalize that. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, it looks like, uh, let's see, it's got uh, it's got 310 horsepower, though, so that's... Uh, right, so that's more than pretty much any 70s muscle car rolled out with stock. Yeah. Um, but... Now, but Rosh is saying that they're better-looking cars, and that one I can't argue about, like... First of all, it's a matter of taste, so even if I disagreed, I wouldn't be any more right than he is. But I actually do agree with him. I think that cars from, like, the 70s look pretty cool. Like the 1976 Corvette Stingray, sweet-looking car. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of the Stingray. Um, even though for some reason they get shit on quite a bit because they, I think they were just so different from the rest of the product lineup that a lot of people look at them and, and think that they're they're not what they think of when they think of Corvette. But personal preference on that uh, yeah so look so let's let's get let's go back a little bit and and kind of start from mass production ford model t we mentioned the starting price of a ford model t in the 20s was what do we mention that last episode uh like 300 dollars or in or around that range i was talking about dis- disassembling and refurbishing this clock that cost 95 dollars in 1929 um, it's looking like if for the the price of a four model T was two hundred and ninety or five hundred and eighty for the two door sedan. Um, here let's look. Yeah, two ninety versus five five eighty is a big uh, a big jump. If I was like, yeah, the house the house cost. Uh... So yeah, in nineteen twenty four, it looks like the price range was two sixty to six sixty. That's a giant price range for a car. But we need to adjust for inflation. 
Well, either either way, the, the number now is doubled or half, depending on how you look at it. 1924. Today's dollars, 660. It's very exciting watching you do math on the computer. 10,000. 10,000, $660 would be 10,000 today. So... But you're not yep. buying. You're not buying a brand new state-of-the-art vehicle that nobody else has in their driveway today for ten thousand dollars. So the translation no, in doesn't. In 1924, you were. Yeah, exactly. The translation doesn't exactly work because you just can't get that for ten thousand dollars anymore. So money spends differently now, which is also why you know I think adjusting for inflation doesn't always put things into context. Yeah, but I don't think that in context we have any concept of what five hundred and sixty dollars could buy in nineteen twenty four. Exactly. All right. So look, so that's why so, I'm adjusting for inflation is so, just to give everybody a reference point. So let's talk about the Ford Model T. So it's my understanding that this is basically it's it's the first mass produced vehicle. So yep. we're not saying it's the first vehicle. So back but prior to this, having an automobile was effectively like owning a very expensive horse right like they weren't the automobile basically replaced the bicycle no it really replaced the horse-drawn carriage well true but a lot of the early cars didn't have roofs didn't have windshields so in some ways it didn't replace the horse-drawn carriage I, 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 I like watching you get distracted reading <laughs> reading these comments, um, which is why you guys should call in and interact instead of just making uh, making the comments. Either way, so what were you saying? I said it didn't fully replace the carriage because a lot of these cars weren't as luxurious as having a horse-drawn carriage. Horse-drawn carriage yeah, oftentimes manufacturers came, came pretty with, quickly keyed in that that was something that people wanted, and yeah. you see a, a quick evolution to putting some certain luxuries in cars. Yes, yeah. And I think that happened pretty quickly and prior to the time of the Ford Model T. So I wanted Mm. to... uh, Well, Ford Model T came with a roof, didn't it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it didn't. I don't don't know. I can't think of a picture of the Ford Model T in my head. Uh, Yeah, but before the Ford Model T, driving a car was a novelty. Yeah, but... You know how fast the first speeding ticket was written for? No, but I am curious. Seven miles an hour. Well, what could the speed limit have been? Because that's Five. that's a that's a fast walk. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's a decent walk. That's not even you know that's like just beyond a stroll. Oh, I'm sorry. Twelve miles an hour. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So. Yeah. So you, you're you're driving a six minute mile. So let me ask you a question. How, because I can't really think of cars from the 30s and 40s, and, and I can think of like uh, the movie Grease. Like, when, when was that supposed to have taken place? The 50s? Um, I thought it was like the 60s. Like, when, I, I, know, picture, I, when I picture early cars, I picture Ford Model T, and then, and then like the, the Grease gang, and the cars that, that, you know, that you could see in a movie like Grease. Well, you should also think about like the Prohibition era cars and like the which kind of evolved into the 1940s cars. And then like 1950s and 60s were all kind of similar. And then. Well, when you really say. S- hold on. Let's back up for a second. When you say Prohibition era cars, I think of like Tommy Gunn, Mobster. Yeah, type that's cars. what I mean. Okay. Yeah, so, that- so that's where we, you know, it kind of came out of the Ford Model T. 
very boxy, maybe wooden spoke wheels to lots of metal, lots of sheet metal, and some cool shapes. Am I am I yep. pretty accurate with that? Yeah, like think of like I, I hate to say this, but like the PT Cruiser, but thirties. Because that's what the that's PT exactly, Cruiser was modeled that's after. A, that's exactly that's exactly accurate. Except those cars were probably, well, maybe they weren't that much bigger. It's just that the PT Cruiser felt small compared to all of the other vehicles that were kind of on the road in two thousand two and two thousand three when it when it, it, it popped up. So to this day, one of the worst modern cars. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. Um, so look. So let's, uh, we used to rent the hell out of those things at Enterprise, and they were the crap. Nobody was happy to get a PT Cruiser. Like, the people just didn't identify with that, like, mobster. If you would, if I went to a rental car company, like, good news, we got a PT Cruiser for you. I'd be like, if you don't have anything else, I'm walking. Both literally and figuratively. <laughs> All right, so look, I want to talk about what these, what these mobster era prohibition cars looked like because they definitely didn't have seatbelts they definitely maybe they had seatbelts i don't think they, did. <laughs> they definitely didn't have automatic windows uh i i i would doubt that they even had windshield wipers not that windshield wipers were like an exotic technology i just think no and they also had the crank start oh god uh i wouldn't even know how to do that i've never been on a motorcycle that's got a kick start i i didn't really start motorcycling until uh every vehicle had an electronic ignition switch um so so what else can you describe about being in one of these mobster cars that i might be missing here i don't know i haven't been in one <laughs> but the, the idea is that like you've got this evolution where like from these super rickety looking ford model t's that are basically like a carriage but with an engine instead of a horse in front of it to more sleekly designed cars with bigger engines in the 30s and then they started to revise that design even more sleek. And then in the 50s, everything got wider and bigger and longer. And that's when you think of like the, what is the, the, the Cadillac? Well, the, the Chevy Belair, the Cadillac. What, what was the Cadillac that, like the giant one? I don't know. I'm not a big Cadillac fan. So Neither am I. But like you had really, really big cars. And that kind of continued through the 60s. And then 70s, you had more like much. Yeah, like Cadillac, Cadillac Eldorado. Thank you, Rosh. Um, so, like, just these, like, boats of cars. But but there was also, around the same time, you had the uh, the European cars, like the uh, Mini Cooper and uh, the German cars, like the Porsche or the Volkswagen Beetle. Well, Europe was, was doing its completely other thing. We're it talking was, about American yeah, cars. Yeah, obviously we're talking about American cars. But just think, like, on the, the other side of the pond there, we had completely opposite stuff going on. Our cars were getting wider and bigger, and I think what we were really playing with was, you know, in the beginning, all engines were, you know, I think a, like a straight, probably four-cylinder engine, and, and, or less. No, because like in the 40s and 50s, like V6, V8, or like a straight six, or I, a thinking, straight eight. Were, were, were all common engine designs. V8, um, like the flathead V8 was really popular in the 50s because it was extremely simple to engineer and repair. It was just pretty inefficient. When you're talking about like a three or four liter engine putting out like 120 horsepower. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's literally the opposite of it's, it's half as much and twice as much uh, 
these days. So I'm trying to figure out when. Uh, I would have thought it would have been all straight cylinder engines. I don't know, but the point is, like in the '70s, the 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 biggest change in car design, the first big change happened in the '70s, and that was at, as a result of the oil crisis driven by OPEC, where both the Clean Air Act and the oil crisis caused manufacturers to realize that putting 7.4 liter engines in cars was no longer sustainable. And you had this big shift towards smaller cars, smaller displacement, and better engineering into the engines, and also a lot more emissions controls, which had the effect initially of really dropping horsepower. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. But it's I think unfortunately we had all this up in arms about the environment and about oil in the eighties and then because it never actually became a true catastrophe that the everyman faced, you, now you have a lot of climate deniers and people assuming that we we will never run out of fossil fuels. Yeah, they that's and that I, they will come. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, I I don't disagree with you, but I feel like It'll, I think, and it will happen in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I assuming we live natural, like die of a, a natural death. Well, um, what I was saying though is that we kind of grew up in that era where people were talking about the environment, but then it it never really happened. And, and that's why people just don't believe in it nowadays, because it was a crisis back then, and it, there was no catastrophe. Well, it was also kind of a little bit of hubris of, in like the late 80s or whatever, like there was a big talk about like the ozone hole and emissions and everything else, and cars got more efficient, and the ozone hole started to get fixed. So like we made a little bit of progress in the right direction, and we just like, all right, cool, problem solved. Let's... Let's go invent the SUV, <laughs> oh, man. which I believe was in '94. Uh, I am. What was that? Like the Ford Explorer or something like that? It was probably the first most popular one. Yeah, the first true SUV. Dude, I like, am not. You know how much I I hate driving this giant pickup truck. Just I mean, because to me it's just this behemoth. It's not comfortable, and it doesn't make me feel good. Like being really high up. Like that's not. I don't get my kicks that way. Um, but I don't understand why anybody would want to drive like bigger the better. That's not how I think when it comes to to being comfortable in a car. Unless my own, unless I'm just driving around constantly terrified, I'm going to get in a head-on collision with somebody. And the size of my well, car yeah, there's the me. there's the perception of safety in larger vehicles. Well, I mean, I I believe that there's got to be a greater amount of safety statistically in being in a Ford Excursion than being in a Porsche Boxer. Yeah, um, I'll tell you which one's going to be more likely to roll over. <laughs> true, very true, very true. But you're much more likely to get smushed uh, by a tractor trailer in a in a Porsche Boxster than you are in a in an excursion. Oh yeah, I mean if I'm if I'm taking the Miata out for a spin, I'm the small like un, unless there's a motorcycle nearby, I'm the smallest car on the road. Now you're the, yeah, you're the lowest, and 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 it, it's not all that wide either. Oh no, it's tiny. But but what You're I'm talking get... about how like you can't reach like the window for your passenger seat with the Miata. I'm in the passenger seat. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. I but I don't. I just don't get it. Why people like 
it's one thing if you if you travel with like eight kids all the time. Uh, or well, you, then get a minivan. But then, yeah, but then also, and I'm not a personally, I would rather drive an SUV than a minivan just because I like the way the SUV looks over the minivan. But I can tell you, the minivan it has way, way, way more utility than an SUV. They're lower to the ground, so you have way more capacity, um, and it's a hell of a lot more comfortable. You have like captain chair seats in the second row. Yeah, and they're they're better on gas. They generally have actually better engines. Mm. Um, no. They're less likely to roll over. The only thing that a minivan can't do is something that ninety nine percent of SUV owners don't do anyways, which is go off road with it. <laughs> well, yeah, most most consumer SUVs anyways these days are not at all capable off road. Um, and they're more capable than minivans, but the, my point is that even for the the SUVs that are capable off road, they're not being used that way. But yeah, but even if they had the capability, suspension wise or whatever else, they have such pussified tires on them because they're well, driven for comfort. So the drivers are not getting big meaty, you know, uh, tires on their cars because they're going to make way too much noise. They're not going to be efficient. Uh, and they're not going to. And they're going to wear down super fast. Right. Like, there's no point in buying off-road tires if you're not taking the car off-road. Yeah. Buy buy highway tires that are going to get good gas mileage and better grip. Yeah, which then basically takes your the, the removes the potential of your vehicle being an off-road vehicle. So. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So look, I want to transition into. I was hoping to talk a little bit more about the last fifty years of, of cars, but. I do want to transition into what the next 50 years of, of cars is going to look like. And for me, I can't wrap my head around how it would be at all exciting for someone like me or you. Or someone like, or someone like Raj, who obviously likes muscle cars. Because I don't think... It really isn't. Well, you know, first I was thinking, what's, what are the few... How do you... Car, I, I like cars that sound cool. I like cars that are fast. I like cars that look cool. Um, I There's something about like being on a boat or uh, or in an older muscle car, somewhere you can kind of smell the gasoline in the air, which... Yeah, I don't know if you really want that. Well, whether you want it or not, it, is, it, it kind of, for me, it goes, it's, it's, you know, within the same territory. So I kind of dig that. But... Uh, you're not going to have engine noise in the future. You're not going to have gasoline at all, unless you're smelling like battery acid or something. Well, you know how many countries now U.S. is lagging behind on this compared to Europe, of course. But like, I think Norway is expecting to have zero percent um, combustion engine sales by 2030. One hundred percent electric cars by 2030. Which, that's soon well that means every gas station kind of goes out of business also which well I mean they've got they still got to get their fleet of combustion engines off the road which will take quite some time yeah but but, but I want you I mean it depends on where you are Norway is is doing pretty well economically but I can tell you in New Jersey and in the New York City general area the majority of the vehicles on the road are, are newer vehicles now when I go up to where we grow up, there are not so many brand new brand new vehicles on the road, but I imagine some place like Norway, you don't have as much of the population driving ten year old plus cars. Uh, on the no, road. but I'm using this as an example less so about progress 
in terms of measuring it geographically, then using Norway as a forerunner of what is about to come globally, which is Norway might be ahead of the curve, but everyone's on the same curve. And that curve points towards no more combustion engines. Yeah, which I think in terms of like the greater good for the earth, it's a great thing. But when it comes to driving experience and pure passion for, for you know, being a, a motorhead, uh, that that's kind of disappearing and evaporating. Uh, you're gonna you know how many people out there drive their car every single day and don't give a shit about its performance? I would assume the majority of the population, I like passing them on the highway and getting really pissed or, or pulling Right, but there's them. so many people I know that look at driving as a chore. And they just want a car that's going to be cheap to own and easy to drive. And they could give two shits if the if it's 250 horsepower, 170, or what it looks like, or like how it, how the transmission works. Yeah. They just want a car when that where when they press their foot on the right pedal, it goes forward. When they press the foot on the left pedal, it stops, and it gets them where they need to go. Yeah, they want dependability and gas mileage and comfort. Now, like the, the amount of people that care about cars in the same way that you and I do are small and getting smaller. But what is what does the future of where is their excitement in the future of vehicles? Right? Because they don't make sound anymore. So you're not going to have the growling engine. You're not going to have the exhaust noise. The, uh, you know, the signature sound of the Porsche will no longer exist. Rosh is saying how in the future, uh, and I think right now, actually, that some of the cars actually come with a with a fake exhaust sound for for the cars. Yeah, which is is, is stupid. We've talked um, about we I think we've talked about this before. My when my family got a fake like grandmother clock, and it played a recording of <laughs> it played a recording of like the the uh, toll or whatever you want whatever it's called. Um, yeah. All right. So where where's the future? So there's going to be a diverging of markets. The vast majority of the market is going to be electric vehicles. Now, within that market of electric vehicles, there's going to be a small portion of those that are going to be like high performance and fun to drive. Um, I watched the test drive of the Lotus Avaya, Mm -hmm. which is like a 1900 horsepower electric vehicle that has a battery life of about like 30 minutes if you're driving it the way you're supposed to. (laughs) Or not supposed to if you're on on an actual street. Um, but you get my point. I get your point. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to have all these other cars like the Chevy Volt and Nissan Leaf, Teslas that are just going to be electric vehicles that people will drive for their, their daily business. Um, the biggest issue that electric vehicles need to solve is range, where if you have a Tesla and all you do is drive around town, and you're not driving more than like 50 or 60 miles in a day, maybe 100 miles in a day, then you can come back home, plug it into your charger at home overnight while you sleep, and it's fully charged the next day, and you're good. Where where the biggest place where these things fail, and not fail in terms of like they break, but is when you want to go on a road trip where you have to go to 250, 300, 400, 500 miles. And if I, if I want to drive... 500 miles in a day like i can fill up my tank in about five minutes if i'm driving an ev and my battery is dead 
um, fastest you're going to be able to charge. If you find the right charging station, you might be able to get it charged to like half in like 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, which is which does slow you down uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'm looking at uh, this uh, ultra luxurious Lucid Air. Uh, it takes uh, the cake for electronic vehicle then change with insane charging speed boasting a 20 mile per minute charge rate uh the beast can charge 300 miles in 20 minutes but that's that's a standalone but i think really also what you're getting at is this actually affects the supply chain quite a bit there's not that many people that are driving 500 miles on a, on a regular basis or really that much at all these days because air, no. air travel isn't that expensive but it makes it impossible right now but i think well the- you know what there's a lot of people that do though and they just don't get a lot of attention like for me on the weekends like this saturday i've got to drive to greenville which is 200 miles away that's a 400 mile round trip if i was driving an electric vehicle i would have to factor in 45 minutes to an hour of that trip to charge the car um, and there's a lot of people that do that kind of driving regularly. Anybody that's like a sales rep that has to drive to various customers. Like I know a guy um, that lives in North Carolina that makes his sales rounds and he covers like the entire Southeast. So he might drive like easily a thousand miles a week. Yeah. Possibly, possibly more. Yeah. And a lot of maybe, those, I don't know, but yeah. that's something if you're in that kind of a role, an electronic an electric vehicle is not going to work for you. Not right not now. Not with current, not right now. Not right now. But, but, but so, with the, like, I think that there's still going to be a small market for idiots like you and me that like internal combustion engines and the experience of driving. But, but we know that uh, combustion engines are disappearing. So. And, and, the, and pretty soon here, probably also by 2030, it's going to be nearly impossible to, to buy a brand new one. Nearly impossible. But how else do you excite us? You know, how does a 2030 car bring us to the dealership to check it out? Is it, is it, the, is it just the body style of the car, like pure superficiality? Well, again, it's going to be, you're going to have some cars that are that are marketed towards people that want the driving experience so you could get like a tesla roadster or something but the vast majority of people just want a car that works well and so but on that note i think that the laws are really going to rein in when it comes to governors on vehicles i don't think you're going to have a car that can do 120 miles an hour or and it's crazy because the electric vehicles now have the ability to hit uh zero to 60 in two and a half seconds which is, yeah, their, which their is, performance is really good. Which is basically unheard of, but that's also dangerous as fuck because there's no real-world application that you need to get to 60 miles an hour in under five seconds. So, Never. So, so pretty soon that'll be governed out, and, and cars won't be able to do that. While they might have the capability to, they're all just geared electronically anyway. So, uh, you know, when you put your foot down on the gas, you're not pulling on a pulley that's spraying gasoline into your engine um you're uh, you're just pushing basically like a a video game controller and information's being relayed to the engine and the fuel you injectors. could well there is no never have, mind there's not even a fuel injector yeah, there's no fuel, yeah look in theory 
you could probably rig up an Xbox controller to drive your electronic vehicle, and like it wouldn't matter. I'd like to see that happen. That would be. There's got to be a lot of like anti-hacking measures on on these vehicles, but maybe they're not. Um, that no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, I. I'd be and then, interested to see somebody pull that off. That would be wild. Yeah, cybersecurity as it relates to all these, all the computers and stuff in cars, like watch some videos on it. It's fascinating to watch what people who know what they're doing can do to disable cars. Mm, I'll have to check that out. Uh, um, so, so, what, so what else? How do, what's going to bring you or I to a dealership in, in nine years? I, I can tell you right now the answer is fucking nothing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really... Like, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the guy looking at like a 1989 Esprit Turbo, and say like I want to drive that stupid thing. Well, that's I mean that's kind of what I was running into right now, trying to find a vehicle, is finding something that is exciting, but also relatively practical, and is is gonna be a decent winter driver. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining. Nice to see you. Say hi to Pepe Dancer and Josephino. What's up, guys? What's up? So, um, I mean, I, I, I've watched the movie Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock uh, enough times. And basically, and I'll, I'll summarize it really quick, but basically it's this kind of utopian future where a criminal from the past breaks out of whatever cyber jail that he's in and then terrorizes the utopia and kind of exposes it as a quasi-dystopia. But um, amongst the things of toilet paper not existing in the future, and there's some three seashells method to clean your ass, and it being illegal to say swear words, and the fact that every restaurant is called Taco Bell because Taco Bell won the restaurant wars in the past, uh, having sex in whatever year it was that Demolition Man is supposed you think, to take place. You think if Taco Bell won the restaurant wars that they wouldn't have made toilet paper illegal? <laughs> well, those three seashells really, really worked their magic. So that's a plot hole if you ever saw one. <laughs> so look, but in the future, uh, supposedly sex is just where you put on a VR headset and, and you have some type of weird sex that releases endorphins in, into your body. And, I mean, we're kind of there now. But, well, yeah, basically, we're, we're very close. But to me, that's like, you know, sex is fun and, and you know, it can be a bit dirty and gross when you really think about it. But, but that's kind of part of it. And driving is fun and it can be bad for the environment and it can be dangerous. But, like, that's part of the fun of it. Like, speeding is not at all a safe thing to do, but it's a fucking blast to do. Don't, don't speed, kids. All right. Drive the speed limit. <laughs> Wear your seatbelt. Uh, I actually drive way, way more like chill than I did when we were uh, like freshly licensed. <laughs> well, that, that's that's called maturing. It it is, but now I look back and I'm just like, what the fuck was I thinking? Uh, yeah, I, I say the same thing. Like you know, we did some dumb shit driving, uh, uh, driving cars. So I, I think we're both pretty lucky to be alive when you consider the things that we did. Yeah, and and. Uh, I, I completely agree with that, but I feel like you could still do a lot of that same dumb shit that we did in electric vehicles and, you know, and new cars. So Yeah, it's just the experience is different. Well, the experience it's... is different, but, but, but also I think that they're going to basically remove that ability. To me, if somebody's mom is going to come along who, whose kid was just 
you know, doing 140 miles an hour in a, in a brand new Tesla and just creamed themselves and said, how is it possible that my 17 year old kid can take this vehicle up to 140 miles an hour? Well, why you, is might that even be a, you might even see like the introduction of like parental controls onto a vehicle. Is there not already? I mean, not that I know of, but I wouldn't. But, dude, think about how, how big of a step it would be in an electronic vehicle to introduce that feature. How hard would that be? No, it'd be, it'd be simple. There's, there's right. cars that have governors on them already. Yeah, but like, it's even simpler when you have the entire vehicle controlled by a computer. Yeah, which, which is ex entirely how vehicles are controlled uh, today. So, the new vehicles at least. That's why I love the Miata. No computers. <sighs> yeah, I, I it actually... It doesn't even have like a working radio. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, actually. <laughs> like it's, it's really, uh, sometimes it's really nice to just chill out with no, uh, with no sound. You get to listen to the engine and just kind of be part of the experience. Because, you know, nowadays we have information coming at us from, from every angle. So the new cars have built-in fucking iPads that are like attached to them. That, that Yo, you. I hate that. It's really weird for me. I, I'm not, to me, that's not, I don't need an iPad when I'm driving. I actually like to dim all of the dashboard lights uh, and the internal lights. I put them all in the lowest setting because I don't want that drawing my attention away from the road. When I see like Uber drivers or just regular drivers with, with, their, uh, with their phone stuck up in the middle of the windshield, to me, I'm like, that is such a distraction. One, oh, yeah. You're impeding your range of view. But two, it's also a giant bright light. It's like that's having moving. Some, it's, having some, it's like having somebody's headlights shining in your face. Yeah, but it's, it's worse than that because the image is constantly moving. And even if you're not paying attention to it, like it catches your eye and your brain is monitoring it. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're not, even if you're focused on the road, there's a visual distraction that you don't even realize is there. Oh, yeah, you're, you're subconscious. Uh, you know, speaking of GPS, I have my GPS set to keep uh, to keep north uh, in line the entire ride. So most people's GPS, when they're always has them pointing forward and up on the screen. So, so the they're map, always so driving north. So the map moves around behind them. No, they're always driving north. Well, it's, but that's that's the result is that people don't people don't understand that aspect that they just they just assume that north is forward, which is not not always. I know it's the <laughs> but point is is the map moves in the background whereas mine the map is is in place and then the, the little point kind of moves around uh you know, yeah yeah uh, we understand okay. um rosh says he likes the feature of the e-class that beeps when it senses your eyes are closing because you're tired uh we haven't even touched on self-driving cars well that's what I really thought we were going to get into is that pretty like the driving experience will will slowly just disappear and there will be no personal driving. Well, that's a good like we already talked about it a little bit in a previous episode. But maybe we could go a little bit more in depth about it. For me, I couldn't be more against self-driving cars. I mean, if everybody else had a self-driving car, I'd be down with that. <laughs> but I, I don't I'm want not, a self-driving car. Um, but I will say it sounds like a cool feature. Um, having having something that alerts you when you're falling asleep. But I can also tell you it's really distracting, and maybe you weren't falling asleep, but then it starts beeping and it kind of catches you off guard. We have these, uh, well, one, the car keeps it, the, the Q5 keeps itself in the lane. So sometimes whatever sensors aren't accurate, or you're just trying to change lanes and not signal, and the car actually pushes back and gives you resistance, 
and keeps you from turning. It's annoying. And and the wheel vibrates, which is which is really weird. So that <clears throat> the wheel vibrating sometimes really throws me off. And then also the turn signal, so it'll indicate if somebody's in your blind spot. Well, that's uh, kind of helpful. But it's also a flashing light on the on the side of the car, so that gets really confusing. In in my opinion, uh, Rosh is making a comment. Insurance-wise, self-driving cars might be keeping your rates down. Might help with with keeping your rates. I'm sure. Yo, as someone who's paid above average market rates for insurance his entire life. That's not really going to entice me. <laughs> you have any points on your license right now? I don't think so. I think I have uh, uh, two points from. Uh, remember last summer? There's a homeless guy on a one-way street, and I turned around. Oh yeah, I, I've got a hit on my insurance for getting in a wreck two years ago, but I didn't get any tickets for it. So no points on my license, but the insurance company's still not happy with me. Were you uh, were you at fault? Yeah, I was. What, can I can I ask what happened? Off air. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right fair enough so uh look i want to thank you guys who are watching us live i want to thank you guys who watch us post-production on youtube i want to thank you guys that listen to us on any any damn it any audio podcast platform whether it's spotify or apple podcasts or anchor or wherever else you can get audio podcasts we are we are in all of those places I want to thank you guys uh, for making the comments and sending me the DMs and uh, and just giving us some feedback on the episodes. It's really cool. We definitely want you guys to join live. That There is that call-in link in my Instagram. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, you can join us. Except when it's not. Except when it's not. Sometimes, we, sometimes we, run, we run a little late. We're not like a radio show, so we don't have to be super prompt. Which is also cool. We do have a uh, we do have uh, a plastic surgeon who's supposed to be joining us next Tuesday, I think. So, what kind of plastic surgery? Uh, I'm I'm not exactly sure. I got to do a little more. I'm sure she does like a ton of kind of Botox stuff, but I want to get into like some of the liposuction stuff, and I you know, I believe that she does that stuff, and just kind of find out like what's going on with people trying to look all wonky because i've seen some really yeah. weird non-natural body types out there and i was uh, going to ask you if you're looking on starting a fight club <laughs> uh that's actually every time i think of liposuction the only thing the first thing that instantly comes to mind is fight club where they're stealing the fat from the, they're stealing human fat from uh yep from liposuction clinics uh either way uh we're just about to hit the time, so I'll cut us off naturally so we don't get rushed off the air like we do most nights. Um, James, stand just a minute because I do want to hear that do want to hear that story. Um, and I want to thank you guys one more time for, uh, for listening and watching. And if you don't already, please click that subscribe button because uh, it helps us out, helps us track the metrics, and it makes us feel good. And, uh, you know, it's nice to make other people feel good. On that note, uh, thank you guys for joining, and uh, we're out. Adios. All right, pal. That's the end of this episode. You gotta wait until next time. So, uh, see you next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.